Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are again listening to Captain Ryan's Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Podcast, episode 422, recorded on Monday the 3rd of January 2020, and the time at the beginning of the show is 22.53.31. I'm starting the show a few minutes earlier than 11, because today we have a special guest. First, let me explain. As I said before, I managed to watch the first Matrix film of my Christmas Day playlist, and that was all. However, since that time, I have ground away at the film series, and I'm ready to talk about what I thought of the new film, The Matrix Resurrections. I said also quite a while ago I was unsure about having guests again. The last one was back in 2017, but here I am with special guest author Saul Garnell joining to help me review The Matrix Resurrections. Because there is just so much to talk about, it's much easier reviewing it with someone else. There will be a lot of spoilers. I hate having to warn people about that, because I've said many, many times that this is a podcast that spoils what I talk about. Now there's going to be a little pause as I get Skype up and running and bring in Saul. And here is my special guest, Saul Garnell. Hello, Saul. Thanks for having me on the show. Not a problem. I've already introduced you as an author. I don't know if you want to say a bit about what you do. Well, my background, of course, is technology. I've been working as a software architect for a bunch of years now. But, of course, that's within the context of banking. I'm one of these not evil bankers, believe it or not. There's, I believe there's a cadre of us out there. But I suppose for my non-day job would be a lot of different strange things. Like I picked up writing uh, science fiction a number of years ago, and I did a bunch of books with David Bischoff around 2011. Between 2011 and 2015, we were writing together on various projects, and he helped me publish one of my first books called Freedom Club. But I kind of stopped doing a lot of science fiction writing. I consider myself more of a futurist, I suppose, because I like to think about what the future might be and use science fiction to like deal with those types of issues and try to delve in them a little bit deeper. But actually, you know, science fiction, I think these days is being outstripped by science itself. We have so many cool new things being invented every day. I'm not sure you have to read science fiction anymore to to see what the future is going to be like. So in the last few years, you know, I, I picked up other things like gaming and playing music and a lot of other just maker and creator type things just to, you know, do something during the lockdowns. Many people, I think, have been cooped up in their homes like me looking for new things to do. And I guess recently, of course, long term comic book collector and into, you know, some of the movies that are out there that are related to the very science fiction and comic book themes. So, yeah, I've been into all these different things, and I guess just talking to you and coming across the podcast and meeting you is just part of that journey of exploration, all these different topics that I've been picking up. Okay, we chatted a bit the other day, and we were slightly interrupted by your dog, but what interested me is, what was your dog's name? 
Oh, uh, yeah. My dog's name is Phineas. After Phineas and Ferb, the TV show. Oh, um, okay. That makes yeah. more sense. I heard yeah. Vignette, and I thought, that is the coolest name for a dog I've <laughs> ever heard in my life. Yeah. Because a it's cool a name. word that I, I use so often. <laughs> I, I was going to name him. We had a couple different names. It was my daughter's dog. We got it for her, but of course, she was seven at the time. So as it always works out, the parents have to really take ownership of the dog and take care of him. And we named him Phineas because she loved that show at the time. I wanted to actually name him Dumbledore. I thought that'd be a pretty cool name for a dog. But yeah, he's just a little terrier cross that we picked up in Arizona. And we brought him to, uh, I'm living in New Zealand at the moment. We've talked about that. And uh, we brought him down to New Zealand. So he's actually been on an airplane and traveled all over the world, this little guy. So I bring him up to the camera, but I don't think he's going to cooperate at the moment. He's into his own little world. Okay, you are here for a reason today, and that is to help me decode the latest Matrix movie. I didn't have to do it by myself. I thought what I'd do is start off as I usually do when I'm doing a Doctor Who podcast and just talk a little about the cast, crew, and production, briefly about what happens, and then what we thought of that thing. And tonight that will Mm -hmm. be The Matrix Resurrections. As far as cast, crew, and production notes, I've just written down a little summary here. So the cast is, of course... Keanu Reeves as Neo, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity, Yahya Abdul Mateen II as an AI construct of Morpheus, and there we are, we've already got a spoiler, <laughs> and Jessica Henwick as Bugs, and there are lots of others, but I won't carry on. This was directed by Lana Wojcicki, the writer Lana Wojcicki, David Mitchell, more on that later, and Alexander Hemon, who I know nothing about. It was produced by James McTeague, Lana Wojcicki, and Grant Hill. Filmed in Berlin, apparently. Released in the UK on the 22nd of December. The box office stats, very briefly, because I really hate doing this. From a budget of $190 million, it made, so far... 106 million. The aggregated reception from several different sources like Dirty Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, the movie press in general, is that it's an average movie. (laughs) They're being kind, in my opinion. And now I'm just going to run through what happens in the Matrix series and this latest Matrix movie. I've heavily summarized what happens there are going to be a few spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie yet and you want to maybe see the movie before listening to this here's my very truncated summary of what happens in the previous matrix series nobody hacker neo thomas anderson is awakened by morpheus is told that the world is a simulation designed to occupy humans stored in battery farms Their pods produce heat energy that powers the dominant AI civilization. In the conflict that follows, Neo gets superpowers, gets the girl, Trinity, is badly maimed, loses the girl, but brokers a peace between the last humans and the machines. The Animatrix animated shorts and games like Enter the Matrix, toys, etc., there's a whole load of stuff, add to that basic storyline. 
In the new film, Neo is plugged back into the Matrix, living as a games developer, oblivious to past events, except for a persistent sense of unease, depression, and illusion. Trinity, revived by the machines, also lives. When the two meet in a coffee shop, they sense a connection. In the real world, outside the Matrix, 60 years in the future, Bugs rescues an AI construct of long-dead Morpheus and awakens Neo. Neo understandably wants to rescue Trinity, but an elderly General Niobe doesn't want to disrupt the peace between the machines and humans in Io, the city that replaced Zion. Bugs disobeys, helps Neo enter the Matrix, where they confront exiled programs such as Agent Smith and the Merovingian. Neo's ex-captor, his psychoanalyst in the simulation, a program called The Analyst, replacing the architect of the previous series, explains that Neo and Trinity were vital to maintaining the Matrix. The humans fight AIs, AIs fight AIs, and in a final standoff, Trinity flies away with Neo and tells the analyst that he has lost. And that's my <laughs> summary of what happens. I probably missed out chunks and chunks of this, but we haven't got all night. No, you've said it in a way that's actually understandable. Compared to the movie, when you watch the movie, you're confused. You're like, huh, what? You know, yeah. to understand the plot well, of this movie, I think you're, we, you well, have to research. You're preempting yourself. I mean, Save your gunpowder. We are now ready to talk about what we thought. I'm going to start off with something very, very trivial, and then I'll let you take the helm for a bit. <laughs> One thing I noticed that I really approve of. Can you guess what that is? It's a really simple and ridiculous thing. Something you approve of the movie. Yeah, you won't get it. <laughs> I don't want to get it, but anyway, <laughs> you're going to tell me anyway. <laughs> There's no colon in the title. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I hope this is the death of the colon. Okay. okay. I'm willing to agree with you on this point. <laughs> it's the, probably the, <laughs> anything else you positively say about this movie. <laughs> I'll go on in a minute, but I would just like to get your general feelings about the films, and this movie. Not everything, yeah. but just the overview briefly. Well, I mean, the first, look, the first movie is fantastic. Everyone agrees. I remember seeing that in the theaters back in around 1999, loving it, thinking, wow, that was an amazing movie. It was, as everybody said, they, you know, I mean, you can read the reviews. The cinematography and the effects they did back then were groundbreaking. The story about, like, what is real, you know, is kind of cool. The basic plot of the story was very understandable and very meaningful to everyone. I think the problem with the whole series and going now to the last version, sorry, not version, the last, what is this, regurgitation of this movie, is that it's just got increasingly worse. I think they've introduced a lot of characters that don't have really all that much import to the story, and they, they don't know which characters to focus on. They really poorly jump around, and then, of course, I think the plot has just always gotten drowned in either mystical mumbo-jumbo philosophy, which isn't really pseudo-philosophy. It's not even real, in my opinion. 
And, you know, to the last movie, which just sums it up that they don't know how to coherently make this world more interesting than it was when it first was unveiled to us back in 99. That's my general feelings of how this thing has gone. It's gone from being a very well-paced, well-made movie or story to something that's just gotten blurred and smeared all over the place. You know, and all the faults of these movies have been covered up with special effects and pseudo philosophy to confuse everyone is the cure all that they've tried to employ. And I think it hasn't worked in my opinion. My impressions of the series as a whole is that I generally like the films. I agree with you that the first one is the best one. I enjoy the beautiful martial arts and the Hong Kong movie style gun foo. Bullet time was great. Pushing the effects past breaking point. The outfits, the pervy clubs with the crunching industrial techno, take technoir from the Terminator to a new level. The green tint, I love the palette so much that I actually wear green tinted sunglasses, but that's actually pre-Matrix, but it's a nice little (laughs) coincidence. The pick and mix from the very best sci-fi The idea that all is an electronic dream, a Gibsonian, though not a consensual hallucination, as William Gibson says, but an invisible virtual prison. In fact, I love William Gibson, something we probably disagree on a little, but the film adaptation of his novels are terrible, whereas while the Matrix series may be an entirely different canon, It neatly encompasses the feeling I get from consuming from the general cyberpunk corpus, which includes Gibson and Bruce Sterling and the rest of them. In a word, Mm. I think the Matrix movies are cool. Cool enough that I know of two old acquaintances who paid over the odds for a Nokia Matrix-style phone after seeing the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's my recollections of the whole Matrix series, and particularly the first movie. That was such a cultural milestone, wasn't it, really, in cinema? It was. But I think the phone, regarding that phone comment you made, wasn't it an Ericsson phone? Was it a Nokia phone back I then? I thought it was an Ericsson phone. Nokia. Yeah, I thought it was Nokia. Well, mm. Now you said it, you got to research that and get that right. I'm pretty sure it was a... I think it was a Sony, an Ericsson or a Sony Ericsson, because mm. that was a brand that existed back then. It was really early on in the pre-smartphone age when we had these feature phones and things like that. With the, you know, I mean, you're talking about the phone that clicks out. It kind of snaps yeah, out yeah. and lengthens a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that phone. Everybody liked that phone. I remember seeing that scene in the movie the first time. Everyone went, ooh, they thought that was so cool. <laughs> And everything about that movie was was new and stylish. And you're kind of right. It's got a look and feel that's quite nice. I mean, like you go on Matrix and everyone's wearing electric spandex, you know, and they're all good looking and, you know, they can do kung fu. And they come out of the metrics and they're like, oh, you know, world's so hard and, you know, we're all beat up and we're all scarred. And I've made it seem like that the Matrix is better. It's like more of a perfect world than it is, you know, in the real world. You know, they're hitting on that heartbeat that people are so into their media, games and movies and all this stuff that you're almost happier in the fake world of media and and entertainment than you are in the real world where you have to go and earn, you know, do your day jobs. One of the cornerstones of this movie is where is the reality that you want to be in? 
Oh, well, let me say one more thing. It raises this question, what is reality? To the point now where we have actual mathematicians and philosophers, like there's a Nick Bostrom, I think is the name of the guy. He's actually saying that we probably live in a simulation. You know, I think this kind of movie had such an effect on people's psyches that you have real intellectuals saying, hey, you know, mathematically speaking, he actually believes that it's more probable we live in a simulation than in the real world. And he uses some just extrapolation of probabilities and things like that to say why. I mean, so this kind of argument that the universe is so infinitely big and the possibility of artificial worlds is so, you know, he starts off with the prior that there's such a huge infinite possibility of intelligent beings that would make simulations. It's more likely we're in that than our one little marble in the middle of nowhere in the galaxy. It sounds nice, except for the fact that there's absolutely no evidence for that. But it goes to show you the point that how deeply this concept is rooted itself now, that people think we live in a simulation, for God's sakes. I think it's ludicrous. Okay, well, that's a lot to think about. I do remember that that book that's referenced in the first movie, oh, I can't remember the exact name, but Neo picks it up and inside he hides his stash of hackerware. Simulcra oh. simulation? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't think about that. Yeah, uh, but... I read somewhere that the author of that book say that the Wojorskis have completely misinterpreted the book. <laughs> Simulcra, it's, uh, yeah, the, what is it? The Simulcra and Simulation, that yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. I uh, didn't even pay attention to that. Look, I think those gals, they're entertainers. They don't have to really understand, you know, they take an idea and they run with it. If you expect that they are so intelligent that they can extrapolate from any kind of true philosophy or science, anything, in a realistic way that they can then portray it understandably in a movie. I think that's too high an expectation in general of movies. I mean, you have another movie where they, they, someone took some really deep philosophical concept and really well portrayed it in a movie that people can understand. I, I can't think of many. <laughs> are there any? Even that movie AI that was done by Steven Spielberg was pretty bad. It had nothing to do with AI. He's like, well, what if AIs could love? It's like, come on, man. That's just a concept. You're not extrapolating anything here. I mean, it's Pinocchio. Now that we've talked about the whole series of movies in general, I just had a note about the cast. Just a couple of points. I really enjoyed Yahya Abdul-Mateen II's sort of Morpheus, though it did make me miss Lawrence Fishburne's craggy features mm. a lot more. I also liked the gallant Captain Bugs, very charismatically played by Jessica Henwick. Were there any performances that you enjoyed from the last movie? I'm not that kind of person that appreciates a performance. To me, it's very simple in my mind. Do I find the character interesting enough to pay attention to them? And the acting can be good, but if the story makes that character so uninteresting, if I don't want to invest my mind into thinking, like, who is that person? When any story is being revealed to you, this is something that David Bischoff taught me as a writer, that anything like a movie or a book is like basically a bunch of questions being asked or brought up in the beginning, yeah? And as the story unfolds, those questions in some order get answered. Mysteries do the ultimate, right? A mystery is a, a very simple tactic. It starts off with a dead body. You already know the kind of outcome, the end of the story, dead body. The question is, who done it? 
And then you ask more and more questions, and then they slowly get answered by the end. Usually the end is like a big reveal of a lot of those questions. But in science fiction, the world is always hard to understand in the beginning. That's how science fiction has always worked. It doesn't narrate to you. Hey, this movie is doing another big problem. It narrates everything to you, which is horrible. The idea is that people should just talk. Even if you don't know what they're talking about, the context of what they're saying and the story as it unfolds should explain to you what's going on. That's exactly how the first Matrix worked. In the beginning, they said, oh, the Matrix. You don't have any idea the first time you're watching that movie. What is the Matrix? And it's only when Neo pops out of his pod and you realize, oh my God, he's living in a completely simulated world. That's the Matrix. I mean, it's nice. It's revealed to you with action. You don't have it explained to you. I mean, yes, you had it explained in the beginning, but in such a coy way that it didn't matter. Going back to your question, these characters don't make me ask any questions and they don't reveal anything as they go along, except the fact that, oh, I love this person. I hope to meet them again when they get back and they meet them again or they don't meet them again because they die. These are the kinds of very simple, non-meaningful things going on. So the acting, like uh, who's the other character? Not uh, General Niobe. The, the general. I watched the previous movie, Revolution. Her was acting was again. horrible in this film. I couldn't take it. I couldn't understand what the point of all that makeup was. It was just awful. And she's now this old lady that is now a tough old general. She's exactly the opposite of what she was. I guess they were trying to shock you for all the fans of Naobi from the third movie. Oh, she was that brave young girl that would not listen to her commander. Now she's this old conservative general that doesn't want to take chances anymore. I guess they think that's interesting. Here's the problem. Character arcs are interesting. When you see a good person slowly become bad, and you see a, a bad person slowly become good, a story that takes you through those story arcs is good because you say, wow, these things happened, and I can understand the journey that that character has taken and where they brought them to, right? Even Neo, in a sense, he was so naive when he first entered the Matrix. In this movie, he's a little more wise, and so there's a bit of a journey for him as well. It's like when he meets the Oracle, and he's more tough with her, hey— no mumbo-jumbo. I need to know this stuff here now. I'm not playing games anymore. He's not like he was in the first movie. And that was interesting that he became toughened up a little bit to saying, there's a mystery here and you can't be coy and not tell me things because all these lives depend on her. Where she's gone through some journey. Naobi's gone through some journey, but I never saw it. I don't care. I mean, did you feel like that? I mean, of course, then she has to act like a different character without giving the audience a reason why they should accept that character. What do you think? Was that something that you kind of had an issue with? She was there to, like you said, be the old conservative general, putting in an obstacle in the way of Neo rescuing Trinity. But that's all she was there for. Mm. She seemed a bit characterless. I just didn't like the character. She also, she also wasn't much of a character. She narrated a whole bunch of junk to us. And then what happens to her later in the story, by the way? She never shows up. After the middle of the movie and she sends everyone on their mission. Bye. I'm looking at my show notes at the moment. This has definitely gone off the tracks because what it says on the next line for me is that's the good yeah. stuff. Here comes the bad. But we've already gone straight into the bad stuff. I want to draw you <laughs> back into what you thought was good, if anything, about this movie. Well, I, I sort of was thinking to myself, I mentioned before the character arc of how he's now a tougher Neo. I'm sorry. I have trouble thinking of anything redeeming about this movie. I do understand that they tried to greatly increase the importance of Trinity. She's not just eye candy beating up people. At the end, she's actually the one kind of saving Neo from falling and things like that. 
I guess you don't want to talk about the plot points that he could fly in the last movies and now he can't fly anymore. How convenient for the storytelling that he has to stay on the ground while they try to shoot him to death. And now she's the one who can fly because she's now the one. I mean, come on, guys. I believe in trying to make the women characters as important as the males. That's true. But to say that it's now she's important because now she can fly. Come on. Is that good? I guess it was a nice try. I mean, I saw what they were doing. I said, oh, okay. So you're trying to get Trinity to be more of on equal footing with Neo. It's this very typical thing of gender politics these days, that the movie can't be about the boys being well, the heroes. Well, you actually I, jumped ahead to something that I was going to say. That was one of the few things that I did enjoy. I did enjoy balding Neo in the mirror, although that was spoiled because I saw it in a trailer. And I did enjoy that scene where the old Neo completely fails to fly. I thought that was very funny. But as I was saying in our previous conversation, which the listeners aren't privy to, I thought most of the other jokes felt very flat. I thought the meta humor was meta to the point of knocking down the fourth wall for laughs, and it just wasn't funny at all. It just seemed a bit sad. I thought it was obviously a passive-aggressive attempt to insult the critics and fan base in advance of negative reviews that they must have known were coming. That's actually what I thought when I saw those scenes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. I didn't see it as even humor. I didn't laugh at anything. Neil's trying not to be funny, and these other people are just yakking around. Do you think that that Scottish guy was a reference to GTA? <laughs> You know, Rockstar uh, Games. No, you said that earlier. I never played GTA all that much. Oh, so no, I guess... it's not a character. It's the developers, or perhaps the whole team is actually from Scotland. There was another thing that I wanted to mention. The yeah. most important point of the entire movie, and really why it lost me, and that is I lost track of the story. There was this vitally important thing that Trinity must never be rescued. Then that's completely flipped, and it's vitally important that she should be rescued. I don't know if I fell asleep or what happened in the middle of it, but it was such a long film that I couldn't possibly mm. keep track of that. And that's why when I was writing the notes on what happened, my little summary of the movie, I had to look all this stuff up. No, the plot point that you're talking about, which is a central plot point, which you're right, I didn't catch it either. Apparently, the analysts made it clear, and it's laughable. The central plot point of this ridiculous movie that doesn't deserve an iota of respect is that when they remade The Matrix after the last movie and there was peace, people started leaving The Matrix. The machines agreed to let people who want to leave The Matrix, they can. They can go in the real world. And then those people were released and let to live in Io you know, the new city that replaced Zion. But because they were losing people, they were losing energy. Yeah. Although it's kind of silly. Everyone kind of knows a human body's body heat, no matter how many you pile up. That isn't a very efficient way of getting energy. But anyway, let's keep all that aside because that's already a problem with the earlier movies. But apparently because they were losing energy, those two are some kind of powerful beings and we need to keep them locked up because they were dead anyway, and they were medically saved by the machines and stored. And if they let her go and Neo go, they won't have enough energy going forward. So the analysts figured, wipe their memories and make them live in the matrix and they'll be happy as a clam. And then when Neo gets rescued, they realize they could, one, of course, they wouldn't want to kill Trinity because they lose more energy. And two, they keep her as a hostage to get Neo to come back, right? That was said. 
that if we keep her alive and threaten to kill her, he'll come back, right? Which is actually quite sensible. And then the whole story is about whether he wants to give himself up and go back, or does he want it for love, go save his love of his life? That's the story. I'm guessing perhaps Neo and Trinity were like a core bit of code that was helping the rest of the Matrix hang together. You can extrapolate further anything you want. The problem is that the premise of the movie is silly, and because when you have silly plot hole-ridden plots like this, people start trying to make sense of it. With all the plot holes and the ridiculous main premise of the story, people will start making up stuff to say, well, obviously, you know. I mean, this is the something that happened with the very first Matrix movie. There was a lot of mysticism and things that were still never explained about the movie, and everyone loved back then to say, oh, I'm going to go study artificial intelligence and I'll figure it out. In a sense, a mystery is something interesting. The mystery here is just bad writing. So, you know, go say whatever you want. You know, yeah, they were, apparently they are important to the existence of the seventh version of the Matrix. How two people can be so important by just living in the Matrix like they were is senseless to me. But that is indeed what this movie is trying to tell. That's the kind of story they chose. I've got another thing about casting that I wanted to mention. That mm. is the character, the analyst, who takes over as the big bad guy from The Architect, played by Neil Patrick Harris. He's yeah. supposed to be, from what I can see in the film, funny and annoying. But for me, he only succeeded in being highly irritating. And the other mm. thing that is a bit different from him and The Architect, well, very different, really, is... He can't do gravitas. The architect could. The architect was very pompous, but he also mm. felt important. Neil Patrick yes. Harris is just someone you want to punch. Well, you bring up a very good question. Where was the architect? We have these characters. I think he'd gone which fishing. Which are good characters. Well, he retired. They were... Well, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, look, so did Morpheus. And they replaced him. I'm sorry. Just get another Colonel Sanders and chuck him in the movie, for God's Colonel sake. Colonel Sanders. Mean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. they call this guy. Colonel yeah, Sanders. Go I've find another guy that. with a beard. Yeah. I could have done that part. I could have. Look at my beard. I could have done <laughs> And you're right. But going back to the point, he did a good acting job. I think acting-wise, I guess, uh, it was fine. But his character was unlikable because... He was a bit of a jerk, and he's like supposedly this entity, like Smith, is an entity inside the Matrix. He's another entity that figured, oh, I know how to keep the Matrix stable. I know how to deal with the humans and make them stay, and I will manipulate them, blah, 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 all this stuff. Let's face it. He was the new version of Smith that everyone had to deal with. And this is the, another problem in the movie. If there's peace between the robots and the humans, he's not really a robot. He's a program. He's not a machine with an intelligence. It's both ways. The Matrix, remember, is a simulation. The AIs are synthetic life. They live outside the Matrix, too. Yeah? And they only made the Matrix to keep the humans in. So it's a place they can both meet with some kind of persona that they want to outwardly portray. Correct? So where are the machines in this? Yes, there were a couple machine characters, like the floaty butterfly thing was flying around. But these are background characters. They had an opportunity in this movie. This is the tragedy of this movie. They had such an opportunity to show us the machines, the machine world, how they work, how they think. How do they deal with the fact that they're now at peace with the humans? How do they feel about that? I don't know. 
Apparently, this analyst guy doesn't seem to like it all that much. By the way, that was at the end of the last movie. If you watch Revolution, at the very end, the architect comes out. And what's his final words? Well, let's see how long this piece lasts. But for now, you win. And I was like, okay, there's the roadmap for the next movie. Apparently, the piece is going to be disturbed. And in some sense, it was in this movie. But it wasn't done in any kind of good way. They had every opportunity to do so much. I think the problem was... It was clear the Wachowskis both said they didn't want to do this movie. Everyone said they didn't want to do this movie. They were forced to do this movie. And because of that, they were lazy. They just made something and threw it at the studio rather than letting people who really could have rebooted it in a good way do that. They probably figured if we don't use the old gang of writers and directors, I guess we won't make it was the attitude here. And I've heard some other people on YouTube say this, that this movie probably would have been better if other people had been involved. Because based on what its reviews show right now, clearly what they did didn't work. In hindsight, they should have had new people involved. But hindsight is great. I've got a few more points. Let's see. I think part of the problem as a concept, it's depressing. And that isn't really the fault of the creators. It's Mm. dystopian fiction. But it sucks that even the new human city, Io, is still underground and we're still living yeah. down there. And it's very depressing. Yeah, their quality of life isn't really much better than it was. And like I said, okay, there were some scenes with them and the machines. It wasn't nearly enough to drive home the fact that the machines are now at peace with humans. It was kind of weird. It seemed like a human city with a couple of machines hanging around where... I don't think that's how it would be. I think there would be one new city, like the machine city and the human city would mix, and it'd be one big giant city where they just are living together. And they didn't want to do that. They clearly had this line that was drawn. They have a general who's like, the machines are, you know, hey, aren't you at peace with these people? By the way, you have human conscripts, I guess. This is a volunteer army. Where are the machines? They didn't have any machines. It was all a bunch of humans volunteering. No, I'm sorry. And if there were some machines that were part of that volunteer squad, they weren't there in front of the general volunteering together. They you were clearly up an interesting separated. point, so An apartheid. That budget was $190 million, and there mm. weren't just very few machines, and what machines you did see were really just Pokemon. There were uh, very few humans <laughs> in this as well. The cast didn't seem that large. For what it was, it was still too big. That squad of people that went off to save Neo and Trinity, did you even care about them? Who are those people? I don't even know who they are. I'm sure there are a lot more extras in The Matrix Revolutions. I'm not even talking about extras. There are people saying things in this movie that I'm just like, who is that person? Like when Neo is waiting before the big day to go off and get Trinity, some girl comes to his door, some soldier, and she says, oh, you know, uh, I've always believed in you. And, you know, are you sure that we should do this or something? I've been always trying to live my life like Trinity would live it. And he's like, well, you know, she believed in me, so it's my turn to believe in her, dude. I was looking at this scene and saying, well, it's an interesting scene, but I don't know who that other character is, and I don't care who she is. She's not anybody. None of those other soldiers that were going with him were of any interest to me. They were just people. They had lines, but this movie clearly had about maybe three or four, like maybe four characters that mattered, right? Like you said, the analyst, Bugs, Neo, Trinity, General Naobi. I think everyone else is just background noise in this movie. I'm going to come to the end of what I thought, and it's not particularly great. I partially blame David Mitchell. 
the movie is long, boring, silly, and David Mitchell is the co-writer, and of course he is mm. the novelist behind Cloud Atlas, which was one of the few Wazowski films I actively hate, and I mm. like Speed Racer, so when I say I hated Cloud Atlas, that should mean something. <laughs> In conclusion, as far as I'm concerned, The Matrix ended with Revolutions, if someone who's listening to this is a fan of the Matrix series, I think by all means they should see Resurrections just for the sake of completism. But if you're like me, you might not get a warm glow of nostalgia. Yeah. Actually, you're raising something now in your summary that makes me think you asked me originally, what is a positive thing of this film? I'll tell you my positive of this film. This film was so bad that it made me like revolutions more than i remember <laughs> yeah i remember that as well i remember revolutions when it came out i thought yeah it was okay it's nothing special because the films did seem to be getting i'm not gonna say bad but they weren't as entertaining the first film was so entertaining the second film was slightly less entertaining and so on but yeah, yeah you're right revolutions did seem very coherent in comparison yeah it is. There is one big problem I think they had in oh, Revolutions. Oh, sorry. Just going to interrupt yeah. for a moment. It ended where it should have ended as well. It was the end. I don't know how they could bring it back. No wonder they called it Resurrections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it means it's dead. They resurrected it like a zombie. And by the way, doesn't that remind you of all the scene of the swarming when they swarmed them? I felt like, wow, this is more like a zombie movie, right? Where everyone's turning into zombies. Oh, when people are jumping that out of like windows. Yeah, yeah, it was a zombie movie at that point. I said, yeah, this is great. Do you this remember that game, Lemmings? Really, <laughs> <laughs> Lemmings, yeah. But the thing about Revolution was that the story was also quite simplistic, that Neo had to go, for some reason, because he's the one, engage the machines. That whole plot point where he's going off to take on the machines was forgotten about in the scenes where the machines are invading the docks and drilling down into the city, into Zion. They have that whole gun battle drawn out for like, I don't know, about 30 minutes. I don't know how long that was. But I was thinking to myself, this is going on too long. You need to cut back to Neo and see what is his journey. They literally have this 30-minute scene where suddenly, oh, they're all going to die. The machines have invaded. They're all going to die. And now, oh, let's go back to Neo because he's about to save everybody. I thought that was poorly done. I think they should have paced that a little bit better. So it seemed that they have these kinds of problems already showing up in previous movies where they don't know how to piece a story together properly, in my opinion. Now that we're talking about revolutions, I remember seeing it this time round after seeing years of Transformer movies and thinking, wow, this is really Michael Bay. Those machine, <laughs> yeah. big robot yeah, so shooting scenes. Fighting, right? It felt a little bit also like the mechs. I can't remember where this movie was against that other movie, Avatar, because they had nice mechs in Avatar, if you remember. Do you have any concluding thoughts about this film? I can't recommend anyone watch it, unless you're, like you said, if you're a diehard Matrix fan, watch it just to say you saw them all. Do not keep your expectations high. Mine were already low, and it came in below my expectations. I think, in summary, this is a film of missed opportunity. It was a franchise that was not doing so great, but it clearly, to me, it's ending. Like you said, it was the end, but was it? Neo and Trinity looked like they had 
now been taken by the machine. Like Trinity was dead in theory, but we all know with that kind of technology, you could have saved her, right? Brought her back to life somehow. And Neo wasn't dead. He just was tuckered out after beating up Agent Smith. So there was now a piece that was in question. There's a lot of things you can do there. I'm sorry. There, as writers are very good at taking flimsy little threads like that and weaving a nice story. I don't give these guys a pass and say, well, it really was over. We didn't need another movie. You can make another movie from that. It's not impossible. And I think this is a complete missed opportunity. And it's missed because writers and director weren't really wholly invested in it. I can't believe they did this other than the, just to take the money and spite the studio. It seemed like what was going on. But maybe I don't have that correctly. That's my impression from watching this. And like you said, if the main plot isn't even clear, if the main plot, when you even explain it, doesn't seem to make sense. Well, that kind of tells you something. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trained as a writer, so I can't say how movies should work. I'm not an expert in that area. But something is terribly, terribly missing from this movie. There's no soul. There's no fantastic story. There's no great revelations. It's just a bunch of action, a bunch of narration bolted on to some action, bolted on to some semi-okay acting, bolted on to very forgetful characters. And that's a shaky structure. It's all bolted together poorly. And Well, the fundamental know, problem with it is that the story was already told. Well, no, this is why I disagree. I think any good storyteller can take those threads of the last movie and make something. Something we talked about in our previous prep conversation that we have. At the end of the last movie, we have a tentative peace between the humans and their arch enemies, the machines. I'm sorry, whenever you have a peace between two warring nations, you say, we're going to be at peace, we're now going to get along. We all know that those kinds of relations are still murky, that there's still a lot of people with bad intentions on both sides. And watching the peace process while bad actors are screwing it up is an interesting story that plays out in the real world all the time. Like after World War II, there were lots of stories like this. To say that this story was over and there was nothing else to tell, in my opinion, it's not true. I think that it really does deserve another movie where we redcon this one and tell the proper story about the peace between the humans and the machines that's still troubled in some way. I'm not sure I agree with that. It's not because it's not a good point and that you couldn't make something of it. I'm sure you could. But the thing is, even in my own fiction... I'm okay with ambiguous endings. I don't need to have everything sewn up. I don't need to see what happens next. Sure, mm. there might be problems between the humans and the machines, but so what? Neo broke that chain of death and rebirth of Zion. All right, if you're saying, was the last movie, the, the previous movie, um, Revolution, <laughs> yeah, Revolution, was that a satisfactory ending that didn't require another movie? Yes. I agree with you. It was satisfactory enough that we could have just left it. And it was indeed left for 10 years. So that's very true. It didn't need another movie. But does that mean that this movie suffers because of that? No, I don't think this movie simply was unable to be ever be made well because they had nowhere to go with it. That's not true in my opinion. But we didn't need this movie. Yes, that's true. We never needed it. Isn't this a typical complaint of Hollywood that they take a lot of IP and they, you know, after it's worn out, they still retread it like old tires. They keep retreading them and putting them back on the car. And we're going to get more of that, quite frankly, because I think this is something else we talked about briefly, that the way to make money in the movie industry has changed. It's hard to guarantee revenue from movie theaters and Blu-ray discs. So with that problem, 
going for unknown IP and trying to make something new is extremely risky. As bad as this movie was, the studio is much happier to make a Matrix 4 film than some other Matrix-like sim movie that hasn't been made before. I mean, there's lots of stories out there about machine and man trying to get along. Tons of science fiction. Okay, Saul, thanks for coming on today. I enjoyed having another opinion, because this was quite a hard one to talk about. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I thought it was fun. Is there anything that you want to tell the listeners before we go about where to find you or your books? Saul Garnell. You can just search me on Amazon. My books are with either Hotspur Publishing or with Crossroads Press. You can also find me. I use a pen name, S. Ron Mars. It's not related to the L. Ron Hubbard crap or anything like that. It's just Mars. Dr. Mars has been a nickname that I had for many, many decades. And my middle name is Ron, so I just chucked it in there for S. Ron Mars. And if you look under Saul Garnell or S. Ron Mars, you can find me on Amazon and you can read some of my humor. I've got two kinds of books, philosophical science fiction under my name, Saul Garnell. And S. Ron Mars is usually the funny robot stuff that I like to do. It'd be great if people can read my stuff and get back to me with some feedback. I hope that my own writings are interesting to other people. But at this point, I'm more of a futurist. So I just move forward into the world. And maybe at some point in the future, I'll start writing again to have something to say. Thank you, Saul Garnell. A person with an extremely cool nickname, Dr. Mars. (laughs) Thanks. That is it. That was my chat with author Saul Garnell, Dr. Mars. The show that you just listened to is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or a mortal enemy. Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek podcast for science fiction, fantasy, and horror nerds. This was episode 422, recorded on Monday the 3rd of January 2020, but ending on Tuesday the 4th of January 2020 at 001739. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.